0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, My thoughts of late have uh, been on the state and the future of the institutional church, as you've probably gathered from my last couple of sermons. And um, while I'm not going to give you an essay today, I am going to take the opportunity to talk about this wonderful reading from Genesis 3 which we don't often actually get in the lectionary. So um, it ties together with my concerns of the institutional Church because I'm convinced that we need more clarity around what our proclamation is, that as the culture moves in its own way um, and as the Church tries to find its way forward, um, the most faithful way forward can only come with clarity about what our gospel in fact is. And that starts with an understanding of the concept of salvation. Soteriology is the $10 word, Um, but what does salvation mean? What are we saved from? How are we saved? That's the good news. That is classically the good news. And there have been a variety of ways of understanding that and interpreting that down through the ages and in different cultural and historical contexts. There's a common thread through all of it, but it always needs to be contextualized for the age in which we live. So when we are able to do our work and understand that common thread, that that, that thing that unites us through all of humanity, that that thing that is essential to the human condition, the problem of the human condition from which we need to be saved, then we go a little bit further in understanding what the salvation is that the way of Jesus offers. And so in the Christian conversation, we cannot avoid the discussion of Genesis 3— the the death of innocence and the casting out of the garden and the curses of the snake and uh, humans and all the rest of it, and uh, this this particular cut of the lectionary is a is an oddball. I was really struggling with the beginning and ending of where the lectionary put it because I feel like it, it it's it's um, it's too little. It it needs the broader context. We need to talk about the the discussion about the forbidden fruit and the decision making process. Um, and uh, it 's all alluded to in this section, so i can I can go there, but I wish we had heard the whole thing. but in any event, we have the betrayal of uh, the commandment by Adam, um, and he because he has eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, he now knows things that he didn 't know before, including that he should be ashamed because he 's not wearing any clothes, and so he hides, and God then catches him and says, How, why do you even know that you were naked? Did you eat the thing that I told you not to eat? And Adam beautifully goes, it was her fault. And then he looks to Eve, his wife, and, um, and Eve says, it was the snake's fault. And so we get the curse of the snake, and that's, that's our story. But we need to know that the cursing didn't stop at the snake. It was, it was the curse of humanity. And there are ways to interpret this, and there's, there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of thought about it, and uh, some of it has more or less resonance depending on where we're at today. I know that that because of our particular history in the Western Church, through Paul and Augustine. Um, we have an obsession with sexuality that, that, that really brings out that theme in the story, the nakedity of um, the, the two first humans um, and their shame uh, attached directly to sexuality in Augustine's mind. And, um, and that has pushed our discussion of sexuality and salvation in a particular direction that ultimately has been uh, problematic. And so we're, we're trying to undo some of that in terms of our understanding of the nature of humanity and, and what is shameful and what isn't shameful, um, and, uh, and, and that's all fine. I, I, I don't, what I don't want to do is get diverted into that conversation. I want to get back to that original thread about the, the human condition. So the, 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 the problem from which we need to be saved is sin or disobedience. And sin has consequences. Disobedience has consequences. And one of the first consequences is shame. Um, if we didn't know, we wouldn't have been ashamed. But because we know, we now are ashamed. And so this this particular section of that Genesis story is about the death of innocence. That, that's where it's been cut. That's the focus of the reading today, is that death of innocence. And that, that death of innocence is like that shift. I don't know if you're familiar with the that conscious, unconscious, competence, incompetence taxonomy that, um, that runs through various uh, disciplines where you start by being unconsciously incompetent um, and then you move to being consciously incompetent. And then from there you can move to being unconsciously competent and finally you have conscious competence. And so there's this progression as you master anything. Um, I ran across it first in the discussion of guitar playing. Um, and so that that unconscious incompetence is the sort of, anyway, here's Wonderwall, and that reference is going to be lost on all of you, but never mind. Um, it's the, the guitar strummer around the campfire um, that knows a few chords and is awesome because they don't know any better. They don't, they don't know what great playing is. And then, of course, they learn a little bit more and they learn enough to know how little they know. And then they feel terrible about their guitar playing and they generally quit. But if they persist through that conscious incompetence and continue to practice and continue to work, they will eventually move into competence, first unconsciously and then consciously. And so that, that little... Progression, we can see in terms of, of that progression of humanity that, that we see given to us in the biblical witness. That in the garden, we were incompetent, but we were unconsciously un- incompetent. We were naive. And this is about the moral journey now, not guitar playing. And so morally, we were like the animals. We were innocent. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not naive about the animal kingdom um, It's red in tooth and claw in many ways. But because there is no moral reflection in the animal kingdom that we're aware of, there is no moral responsibility. It just is the way it is. And when we humans took that first step towards knowledge and reflection, that is precisely when we became responsible and we became ashamed. And so we moved from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence, and we knew we had a problem. Now... As the narrative goes, we always wanted to get back into the garden. But as the story shows, you can't go back in. That way is shut. The The only way back is through. We have to go through those other stages of the journey, and that is the biblical story. Now, tied into this is a discussion of the right way and the wrong way to get through. And that's part of our narrative, that, that we're all in this human condition. We all have this sense of innocence and security that we long for and that we'd like to get back to. Um, Joni Mitchell's uh, Woodstock song about just trying to get back to the garden, um, that that this is part of the human condition. We, we know what it's like to feel anxious and insecure and afraid and need to cover up and be ashamed, and all that is... The, the, built into the human condition, and we long for this primordial state where we don't have to worry about those things and we can just be ourselves and be comfortable and be happy. But in trying to get back in the wrong way, we compound the problem. And that's, that's the, the salvation story in the, the, the Bible. Now, what's interesting about the Genesis 3 story in particular is that I believe it was actually composed during the Babylonian exile, and so it was composed fairly late in the scriptures, and it's in fact a reflection on how they came to be in the suffering they were in in Babylon. They had lost their temple. They had lost their land. They thought they had been given the holy land. They, were, they had a religious life that had been given to them by God, and it all got swept away, and they had gotten it very wrong. Um, the the, uh, the elevation of the prof- the prophetic tradition over the cultic prophets and the temple Um, Officials um, that we see in the the prophets in the Old Testament, Um, the fact that, that we look back and say the prophets were right was figured out in that exilic period where they said, well, obviously the king and his advisors were wrong and those prophets were right. And so what went wrong? And in their reflection on what went wrong, there's a difference between wisdom and wisdom. There's good wisdom and there's bad wisdom. And we have that in the Genesis 3 story. Because you have this description of the snake who is the craftiest or the most cunning of the animals. And the word used for crafty or cunning is a word used for wisdom. But it's a wisdom that is not the good wisdom. It's a wisdom that is crafty or cunning. It's a good good translation into English. But what the words in English um, don't connect is that the cunning of the snake linguistically in the ancient world is, uh, is related to the, world, the, the, the word used uh, for wise when um, Eve looks at the fruit and sees that it's to be desired, and it will make one wise. And that's the good word for wisdom. And so you have the bad word for wisdom for the snake and the good word for wisdom that is represented by the fruit. And it's the relationship of those two that is interesting, particularly when you take into account that this was written in Babylon. Because the argument that comes through from those exilic uh, Hebrews is that we traded the good wisdom for the bad, that, that what we wanted was the promise of wisdom to know good and evil and be like God, and what we got was cunning. And even in our religious tradition of the time, our temple, our functionaries, the, the, the integration between temple and monarchy, the Davidic monarchy, all of the rest of it, it um, and particularly given Solomon's integration with the wisdom of the ancient Near East and the, um, and the watering down of the original good news that made the kingdom in the first place, that that became the wrong kind of wisdom. And what we were reaching for, we were not able to, to get, What we got was the other thing. And so like the snake was cursed, um, so are we. And another, I'm sorry to share this, but it's fun. Why was the snake cursed? The ancient Near Eastern religions, particularly those that were inherited by Babylon, the snake was a good figure. Um, the shedding of a snake's skin made the ancient peoples believe at one point that snakes were immortal. They just shed their skin and they continued forever. And so they became a symbol of immortality. And the ancient Babylonian cults and the Sumerians and so forth um, were snake-worship religions looking for immortality, and the way of the snake was the way to get there. And so we have in Genesis 3 a... Uh, a distinction by the ancient Hebrews of the the way of our God is not the way of the snake it 's fundamentally different it 's not a a, a a magical grab for the power of the snake, so we will claim immortality for ourselves like the gods in fact it 's a recognition that the way of the snake is the way of death, and in fact in in Israel we unconsciously found the way of the snake. We turned our own way of life into no different than any other ancient Near Eastern religion. And so we fell um, because that way is, is a cursed way. And so we have to get back to the true way. And the struggle to get back to the true way is the entire story of the biblical witness. So the, the wrong kind of wisdom is the wrong way. And we have to find the true wisdom to find the right way. And, of course, this is very tempting to talk about the contemporary church again. Um, I let you do that for yourself. Um, But all I will say is in our conversation as a church to set aside the false way and embrace the true way. And this is hard. It's not like I just have the answer and and you just have to trust me on it. It's a conversation that we all need to engage in at a very deep level. But for me, the founding principle is Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the true way. Jesus is the good way. Jesus is the good wisdom. And so when we put Jesus at the center, this is the heart of the Christian proclamation, that if we are looking for the way back to the garden, the only way is through the journey that is now before us. We can't take shortcuts. They're the only way to the garden is through crucifixion and resurrection, through repentance and forgiveness, and the implications for contemporary life are obvious. We um, uh, the, the news continues to reverberate about the uh, the Kamloops residential school, and um, the Christian uh, response to that is the response of Jesus. You can't go back. You can't just say, well, that was then, that was a long time ago, let's just get on with it. That's trying to take a shortcut back to reconciliation, and you can't do it that way. You have to go through repentance and forgiveness. You have to go through crucifixion before you can get to resurrection. And we're still in the crucifixion phase when it comes to reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. And so the Christian witness is as relevant today in the in the stories of the moment as it was 2,600 years ago when the story was composed. The, the state of humanity is no different today than it was then. Our culture is different, our issues may be different, but ultimately they are about a humanity that longs to be safe and to be free and uh, and to be loved. And our message is that you can be safe and free and loved but the way there is through the way of Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, that's what waits for us at the end of the journey. And in fact, that's what is accessible to us in part as we journey. So that the, uh, the second life, the second coming, is not only ahead of us, but at some level we are a part of it already as a church. And so as a church community, we live and embody penitence and reconciliation and forgiveness and safety and love as a sign of the fullness that awaits us in the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.